world-class strength coaches do to get their athletes in the best shape possible? What methods, strategies, and tools do they use? And more importantly, what could you learn from a world-class strength coach that you could use inside your own life, in your own routine, to get the goals that you want, to get the results that you want? That's why I'm super excited to announce today's guest. His name is Joel Jameson, and he's widely considered one of the world's foremost authorities on strength and conditioning for combat sports. He's the author of the best-selling book, Ultimate MMA Conditioning, and is a contributing writer to several top magazines and a frequent guest speaker at conferences and seminars all over the world. Joel has worked with and consulted extensively for teams and organizations ranging from the Navy SEALs to Lifetime Fitness, and his BioForce HRV system is used by teams in the NFL, NBA, MLS, NCAA, and more. He is best known for an individualized approach that is both based on solid science, yet practical to apply. And the reason that I asked Joel to come on the show today is because I've read ultimate MMA conditioning. And I've used the principles to help me train better and to perform better when I was training in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Unfortunately, I kind of found the book after my competition time, but I used it to make better decisions about my training and also more specifically my recovery. It is a true game changer. And even if you're not a combat sport athlete, you should totally read this book, especially if you're a trainer. I also use his BioForce HRV. There are many HRVs out there. I've found BioForce to be especially accurate as to my state and easy to use. That's why I'm excited to have him on the show today to talk about how he thinks about the training process, what we can learn to make our training processes better, and what technologies he's using to stay at the top of the game and what he sees as the next step, the next level in technology and sports performance and in wellness in general. So without further ado, I give you the interview with world-class strength coach, Joel Jameson. Joel Jameson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Man, I'm really excited to have you on because while I'm a big fan of your work, you are someone in the industry, in the strength and conditioning field, in the fitness industry, who's leading a different paradigm of how to train our bodies. And you've completely changed the way I look at the human body and the training process. Um, big fan of your book, Ultimate MMA Conditioning. I took my BioForce HRV reading today. So it's just a real pleasure to have you on the show to share your message and your knowledge with more people. And I appreciate that. I, uh, you know, it's always great to hear of, of work I'm doing, influencing people and, and giving them different perspective. And that's largely what I try to do is just give people different perspective than what they're, they're used to hearing out there in the fitness world. That's a really modest way of putting it, Joel. Because I've listened to other strength coaches who are like, man, I read Ultimate MMA Conditioning and I was, it filled in so many questions. So it bridged so many gaps that people had. And if you're listening right now, if you want to read an excellent book about 
training, the whole training process, and while why it's much more holistic and than you might think. Check out Ultimate MMA Conditioning. I'll have that link in the notes. But Joel, right now, I'd like to ask you, I know all about you. I've read your books. I've listened to many of your interviews, but can you give a brief description of what you do to the people who haven't heard you before? Yeah, sure. I mean, my my background actually, oddly enough, was in was in football strength conditioning. So I came from a strength and power background, and just kind of by happenstance, started working with uh, combat athletes and lots of high level MMA guys back around two thousand three, two thousand four. Um, after I'd opened up a gym in the the vicinity right next to AMC Kickboxing, which is an AMC Pancration, I should say, which is a uh, really well-known MMA gym. So it was a quick uh, throw in the middle of the tank. I had to figure out how to swim with these guys. And I basically was, you know, didn't have the conditioning background and really wanted to make sure I was training these guys the way they need to be trained to perform. And the last thing I wanted was them to go into a fight and get, you know, get knocked out or lose a fight because I didn't do my job in, in getting them ready as best I could. So I spent, uh, you know, a lot of time researching learning from great coaches like Matt Hume, who's been in the MMA game since before MMA was even a term, you know, and, and really just kind of researched and trial and error and did a bunch of work over the years to understand what conditioning was and, and how it applied to combat sports and then, of course, other sports. So, you know, as I said, I run a gym, work with athletes from almost every major sport you could think of in some sports you probably never considered, like Ultimate Frisbee and and uh, Roller Derby. But, uh yeah, it's been a, been a ride. So in 2009, like you said, I wrote M- Ultimate MMA Conditioning just to kind of get the information out there because I, I read a lot of articles and discussions on the internet about what combat athletes should be doing for conditioning, and most of it was uh, just flat out wrong, and a lot of it was literally you know, just about the worst thing you could do with conditioning or combat athletes. So I wrote the book, started eight weeks out back then, and kind of the rest is history, and it developed uh, the BioForce HIV system in 20. 20- 11, I believe it was, and, and uh, that's done really well for us and you know, help people understand what their body's actually doing in response to training and, and life and everything else. So nowadays, you know, train a few people, do a lot of speaking and lecturing, write a lot of articles, and furthering the, the technology that we created and trying to take it to the next level. Yeah, awesome. And I remember seeing back in the early days of the UFC, Matt Hume's name was on every show. And I was wondering who that guy was. And, and so it's really cool to hear you over the years talk about Matt Hume and how he's been such an influence in you helping your MMA athletes achieve their very best. And today, I know that you work mostly with these high-level athletes and you travel the world speaking, <clears throat> but I want to hear today about how we can use what you know for the non-athlete who wants to have optimal health, who wants to take care of their body, who's interested in longevity. And you know what's interesting about that is you were talking about how MMA athletes train and how it's just backwards and how all the workouts, are, they're just adding more high-intensity stuff to what they're already doing, which is already pretty high-intensity. But that's how, the way most people train. They're running sprints, they're doing high intensity interval training, and they're walking around looking good, but feeling terrible. So can you talk a little bit about your approach and perspective on the whole training process and how it applies to the human body? (laughs) That's a big question, but I'll do my my best here. You know, I think the the first key thing to understand is anytime you're talking about training or health or wellness or any of that, you have to start with 
understanding biologically what our bodies are designed to do and how we're wired from the inside out. And what it ultimately comes down to is we're, we're basically designed to do two things, and that's stay alive and reproduce. And you basically find that 90% of our daily lives and our decisions and our motivations are driven around those two things. And I'd highly recommend anyone in your audience that hasn't listened to it or, or heard, there's a great professor named Robert Sapolsky. He's a Stanford, he's a biologist and a human behavioral biologist. And he, he has a free course you can get on YouTube if you just look up human behavioral biology. And, um, you know, he's literally kind of one of the guys I've learned a ton of information from, but he reinforces kind of how our biology is wired to, you know, like I said, keep us alive and, and, uh, reproduce and pass on copies of our genes. So that's first and foremost. So the reason that's important is because as we train or as we expose our body to just the stress of daily life, we have to understand that it's, it's primary job is going to be to maintain what we call homeostasis. And say it's, it's got to maintain the internal environment. So Everything it's doing is about regulating that and keeping hormone levels in certain areas, keeping, make sure we have enough energy substrates like glucose and glycogen storage, and we have all these things that we basically need to survive. And when we challenge that through not just training, but through daily life, when we start to push the body beyond you know, where it's comfortable being, then we start to see pushback. And by pushback, that's where we get overtraining, that's where we get injuries, that's where we get poor health, that's where we get all these problems and the the biggest thing to just get i think from the big picture is that it's not just training that matters it's your you know like you said it's, it's a holistic view it's training it's sleep it's nutrition it's mental stress it's all these factors that have to be considered as one because they're all acting in the body as a stressor and they're all having you know an impact on how well your body can recover from the training they have an impact on how your body responds in general to the training so really i think the biggest thing to get, you know, whether you're a combat athlete or you're a housewife or you're, you know, some other sport or you just try to lose weight, whatever your goal is, you know, everything matters, the entire picture of, of what you put in your mouth and how you sleep and how you train. I mean, all those things play an integrated role in the response and, and whether or not you're going to see results. And I think the biggest problem these days is people try to compartmentalize those things too much. So they, for example, go to the office and they have a stressful day at work and then they think, okay, I got to release some stress, I'm going to go, you know, crush it at the gym and they kill themselves in the gym. And then they go back home and you know, deal with family life and stay up late and don't get enough sleep. And then they just repeat this cycle. And, uh, you know, they, they think that these things are all separate, but they're, you know, they're not. And the, the end result is that you tend to cause a lot of times more damage than uh, you do good. And in the long run, that's where we get all kinds of problems. And, uh, you know, it's, it's how you get cardiovascular disease and diabetes and all these things, because you're, essentially exposing your body to to more stress and it can adequately recover from and over a long period of time that's that's what damages uh, a lot of systems and a lot of things so like i said probably the take-home message is just to understand the the you know the body doesn't consider your training separately from your daily life and everything that you do to yourself makes a big difference on what you can and what you should do in the gym as well yeah Awesome point. So eloquently stated. And I'll tell you that we'll get into more of that when we talk about your BioForce HRV system, because it's the system I'm using. My buddy's also using it. Joe Bernardo. he's a former NFL player and now a professional fitness trainer. And he has been using it with this girl, this 19-year-old, I guess, rower who wants to make it to the Olympic Games this summer. And uh, it's been really key in helping him keep her at the top of her game because their coaches in Paraguay, that's where she's from, were crushing her with exercise. So, man, <laughs> I'd love to... Yeah, right. You're not surprised to hear that no. at all. 
It's like, you got to be tough. You, we got to be more. When you're tired, you train harder. You know, it's, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a mess for a lot of people. Do you have any stories about an MMA athlete or any type of athlete, but it would be cool to hear someone from MMA who came to you, who was maybe gassing out, who didn't understand they were training so hard and felt like they should be performing better, but they felt terrible and their performance was lacking. Then you helped them turn it around. Yeah, you know, I think uh, probably a, a good example of that was uh, Tim Boach, who's towards the end of his career now in the UFC, but he came to us, you know, several years ago, and he he had lost a couple of fights. He'd, he'd been pushed out of the UFC and, and was fighting kind of some lower level organizations, and you know, he just wasn't uh, able to perform very well for what his you know what his capabilities were. And so, I would never take credit for the whole thing. It's you know, Matt's an integral role in everything that they do and the success of any athlete I work with. So, uh, you know, Matt started working with them, and I started working with them. You know, figuring out what his training program was doing and what was what was you know, lacking in the program, and you know, he basically ended up turning things around. He won a couple of fights in the lower level, got signed back to the UFC. Uh, I think he went on like a five or six fight win streak at the time and was knocking people out left and right and winning fights in the last round. I and mean, he knocked out Okami in the in the third round in a, a great comeback fight, and you know, really had a, a super successful run at it there uh, while he was training with us. And then he's he's kind of taking a different turn now, unfortunately, but just. Uh, you know, see him, him turn around from basically getting kicked out of the UFC to making it back in and going on a big run. And there was a time where, you know, they were talking about him and getting in line for a title shot. And, uh, you know, he was a great example of, of just kind of the, the effects of figuring everything out that was not working and putting it all together in a way that actually did work for him. Yeah, that's so great to hear. And if you're listening to this right now, what I want you to take away from it is that if you're working out hard, if you're pushing yourself, yet you're not getting results... You're not getting stronger. Perhaps you're feeling beat down or tired, yet you keep doing the same thing like Joel's example before of the person who is not sleeping enough, has a stressful day at the office, then goes and uh, crushes himself with a hard workout, CrossFit, because you know that's what you do. <laughs> Hashtag beast mode. But start to look at this as just stressing your body, recovering from it. And Joel, one of the things that you helped me with, because I had an episode when I was 30 years old, I was doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitions and grappling competitions, and I was doing pretty well, but I just started crashing and I couldn't understand it. I was training hard in my classes. I was lifting weights and I was eating the organic vegetables and the free range chicken and the grass fed beef. But I was feeling terrible. I was 30, but I felt like 60. And for you, you really helped me understand that, hey, you need to make sure that you're recovering from all this stress. It's not just about adding more. So for someone who's down that road right now and feeling like that, can you explain to them a little bit more about like what they need to do differently? And I know you gave a great overview, but can you say some practical tips for someone who's really kind of stressing, burning the candle at both ends, but wants to make a difference, wants to get better results in their training and life. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing for someone like that, who you know feels like they're putting the effort in, but not seeing the results or, or maybe even feeling worse, the more they train, the first thing to do is just take an inventory of, you know, what their daily life looks like, what their sleep patterns are looking like, you know, how much training they're actually doing, start seeing, know what you're doing and, and calories are being taken all sort of stuff and a lot of times in my experience when people just kind of write out what it is they're doing they start to realize how much training 
you know, they're actually doing or how little sleep they're actually getting. And then, you know, it, a lot of it's, it's a mind shift. I mean, you have to kind of change the mindset of the more I train, the better results I'm going to get to the smarter I train, the better results I'm going to get. And so really it starts with just taking inventory of how many hours a week you're training, how many hours a week you're sleeping, uh, you know, reach your mental stress levels, you know, all those sorts of things. And then if you're, if you're feeling bad and you're not getting results or you're, you're literally feeling worse, I mean, the first thing to do is cut back. I mean, Sometimes it takes a little bit of leap of faith, but a lot of times if people cut back what they're doing by even 20% or, you know, even sometimes 30% and literally it's just a matter of, okay, I'm training 10 hours a week right now. I'll cut it back to seven. And funny thing enough, all of a sudden people start feeling way better and they actually start seeing results again. And then then it kind of becomes obvious that they simply were doing too much of it. So in general, I mean, you've, you've got to start just by reducing the amount of training that you're doing maximizing your sleep, maximizing nutrition, and then 90% of the time, you know, that's enough to get the ball started the other direction and people start feeling better. And then, then from there, it's, it's just a matter of management. I mean, you've got to use something like HRV or RP or whatever else you want to use, but you've got to have some way of, of monitoring and seeing how you're responding so that it doesn't take to the point where you're feeling run down and, and injured before you realize, like, I'm going the wrong direction. So, you know, again, a lot of it, it starts with the right mindset. If, if you don't have the right mindset, then there's, there's not much that's going to help you because you have, you, if you go in the gym every day with the idea that, you know, if you don't bust your ass and go hundred percent, you're not going to get results, then, you know, that's, that's what you're going to do. So you, you got to have a, a different approach and you got to realize, you know, that the body is not just, uh, not something you can just hammer into the ground every day and, and it's going to, you know, keep coming back stronger. It's, it's not like that. It's, you know, if, if, if that's what you do, then the body is going to perceive it as a big big uh, threat to its survival it's going to start shutting down it's going to start acting to try and preserve itself rather than you know continually adapt and the, the body has no incentive to build you know bigger stronger more powerful muscles or burn a whole bunch of fat i mean those are those are actually counterintuitive things that f- for the body to do in general because bigger muscles mean more energy necessary and lower fat means less you know energy reserves and again the body is all about maintaining and surviving and that means energy stores and that means not having a huge metabolic cost of walking around which is you know, what you get with when you have a ton of muscle. So just realize in general that being bigger and stronger and faster and leaner is not really what the body wants to do. So you have to find the best ways to work with it rather than against it. And going to the gym every day and crushing yourself is, is working against it. So, you know, like I said, the two biggest things start with a thorough inventory of what you're doing, you know, how you're, how much of it you're doing, and then make a dedicated decision to start by cutting it back by 20, 30%. Uh, see how you feel and then and go from there. Yeah. Love it, man. And what I hear you basically saying is like, look, it may be counterintuitive that you can get more or better results with less hours, but it's not about that type of logic. Your body runs by specific rules. What I hear you sharing right now, or, Hey, listen, these are the rules of the human body. Forget what you think you know, or like, hey, I need, I need to work out hard. I really feel good when I work out hard. You have certain rules to the human body. If you start violating them or start, uh, or, or not even violating, but if you start pushing your body in a certain way, it has a predictable response. Like you said, your body doesn't necessarily want to be lean and have a bunch of muscle because it's, it's very, it's like a luxury. So if you're not, if you're putting yourself in this constant, chronically stressed mode, it's going to be really hard to do that. It's, it's a tough sell. And I'll tell you, you know, I see that all the time and I, 
I have to deal with that with my clients who are mostly CEOs, multi-million dollar companies here in Miami Beach. And these guys go balls to the wall in their business and they take that same attitude into the gym and it can be a hard sell sometimes to back off, to rest in between sets, to take a day off, to uh, do aerobic exercise instead of intervals. And I'd love to get into that just a little bit before we jump into to the HRV. What would you say to someone who's like, listen, Joel, I, I eat pretty well. I sleep decently. I feel okay. But I've read that high-intensity interval training, running sprints, doing circuits, doing you know high-volume, explosive, power-endurance, CrossFit-style workouts is the best way to get in shape. Why can't I do that all the time? I mean, the simple answer is if you only have six weeks, then that is the best way to get in shape. But if you have six months or years or whatever you want to look at the long term, then trying to go you know, high intensity every day, all day is, is just a recipe for disaster. And I mean, I think fortunately by now you've seen enough people go through the CrossFit mentality and the CrossFit workouts that everybody knows somebody who's done CrossFit and gotten injured, right? But I, <laughs> I, I don't know anybody who, who doesn't at this point. So, oh yeah, one of my friends at CrossFit and they, you know, they hurt their shoulder, they hurt their knee, they hurt their back. I mean, people kind of, I think there's started to be at least an early, you know, stage just from the sense I get that people are starting to kind of realize what happens when you run yourself into the ground every day in the gym. Sooner or later, the body fights back and it fights back with, you know, injury and lethargy and all these other sorts of things. So you just have to get, it goes back to understanding that the problem is a lot of the research that's done, in fact, all of the research that's done is short term in nature. And that's simply because nobody can fund and control a study of, you know, different intensities used across a year. Everything that they do the infamous Tabata study was six weeks. I mean, all these studies are very short term because it's it's literally ex- very expensive and it's difficult to control the variables to make a, a decent study. So when you're looking at a very short period of time, then of course, you know, higher intensity and bigger volumes are going to lead to faster results in the short run, but you're not seeing the other side of the equation. It's like this. If you had a diet study, let's say you had a three-week diet study and one group of people cut their calories to 500 calories a day and the other group only reduced their calories by 500 calories a day from their normal levels, which group do you think would see better results, right? Yeah, Obviously the 500 group, calories, the group, yeah. Yeah, the 500 calories. So then what would the research study, you know, what would the, the research headlines come out of that? You know, radical diet produces the best weight loss. 500 calories a day is, is going to get you the results you need. Well, what do you think would happen if people started, everyone started cutting their calories at 500 a day indefinitely? Sure, they'd get, they'd get weight loss for the first couple of weeks, and then you see a big shift and their body would, like I said, go in that preservation mode and you'd see thyroid levels dropping and growth hormone and fat or and testosterone and all these hormones basically reacting to that massive calorie deficit and you'd feel terrible, right? I mean, it's, again, you can't, you can't base your entire training program on very short term, short sighted pictures, which is unfortunately what the research presents. And again, you have to kind of look at the big picture of how the body works. You know, the second thing I would say is the other problem our industry, aside from, you know, short-sighted research, is we suffer from from marketing expectations. And by that, I mean, you know, you, you're constantly bombarded with the P90X commercials, with the before and after photos, and you, people have this completely unrealistic idea of what can actually be achieved by, you know, the average person in six weeks or 12 weeks or, you know, even a month. So they have these completely skewed expectations of if I go work hard for, six weeks, I'm going to all of a sudden lose, you know, 90% of the body fat I want to lose. And I'm going to look like I, you know, like they do in the before and after pictures. And the reality is those things are 99% Photoshopped and they're created to, you know, to sell products and they're not based on reality. So the person goes into the gym, with this mindset of, 
I'm just going to bust my ass for six weeks and I'm going to look like I saw in the magazine and that doesn't happen. You know, then they're frustrated and they either give up or they think, okay, I didn't work hard enough. Let me work even harder. Let me cut calories even more. And then you just have this dangerous cycle. So, you know, a lot of education and a lot of, you know, helping people really achieve long-term sustainable results is, is setting up the expectations from the very beginning. And that means, look, here's realistic goals that can be achieved in the next, you know, month or two months or three months or whatever. Here's how we're going to track that and, and make sure you're headed the right direction. And, you know, again, understanding what's physically possible and what's just marketing hype that's completely, you know, unrealistic and, and not possible. So, you know, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of people's programs are designed from those two fundamental flaws of, of just being completely baseless in what's realistically changeable and, you know, having this very short-sighted view of training that's driven by research. Right? You put those two together, you get what we have now. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you, I remember watching the either Insanity or P90X, one of the beach body workouts, and I don't necessarily have anything against that, but this guy was saying, hey, I've been working out in the gym, I was lifting weights, but I wasn't getting the results I wanted, and then I did Insanity. And what immediately comes to my mind, because I've talked about periodization on this show before, it's like, okay, so he already was in shape, and then he was doing hypertrophy style, muscle building, bodybuilding style workouts. And then he went into a high intensity phase. And so that's kind of naturally what you would expect to happen, right? But for the sure. average person who's sitting on the couch, overweight, detrained, haven't lifted a weight in a long time, and they see the commercial and that guy talking about his experience, they're not going to get that at all because that guy was probably working out for years and then just... Finally, he, he did something more high intensity and he got some great results. And that's why I'm so glad to have you on the show, man. I'm trying to bridge that gap to get people the truth about what really works. And what really works comes from guys like you, from guys like Ian King, from people who are studying, working with the best athletes on the planet, because you, you have to get a result, right? The people at P90X... They don't have to, they have to sell something, but you sell results with your athletes. And that's why I love having people like you on the show. So man, I get really excited about this. So let's talk about HRV. Can you talk a little bit about how it was developed? Cause I think the story is very interesting and then talk a little bit about what it is and we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. I mean, it was, it was developed originally back in the, uh, like late fifties and sixties by the Russians and they were trying to come up with a way to, to monitor the effects of space on their, their cosmonauts they were planning to send up there. And they basically realized that there was more information encoded in the heart rate signal than, than just how many times the beat the heart was beating. So what they basically figured out was this way to mathematically pull this information out of the heart rate so that we were actually getting, they were getting how the heart was being governed or how the brain was controlling the heart rather than just why, you know, rather than just how many times it's beating per minute, it's why was it beating that many times per minute, and then what was the pattern looking like. And that ultimately reflects how much stress the body is under, and you see different patterns in the government of the, the heart and when you're in periods of lots of stress and fatigue versus periods when you aren't. So with that technology, they're able to, like I said, send the heart rate down from space, and they were able to to see the effects of, of what space was doing and the stress of space and the lack of gravity and all these sort of things. And they, they did use it with the first uh, human being in space, uh, a Russian named Yuri Gagarin, and basically were able to see exactly that. So it evolved over the you know, last 50 years. It was predominantly in, in medical research, cardiophysiology, 
you know, psychology in different areas of, of medical research, but it really wasn't utilized in the in the strength conditioning or training setting until, you know, the late 2000s where I was, or, you know, 2008, 9, 10 sort of range where I started developing BioForce and a couple other HRV systems came out that were more realistic for the consumer because the, the early version I used back in like 2002 was, was about 30 grand, which is, you know, obviously not something that the average person is going to go invest into their their programming, but, you know, with the invent of mobile phones and Bluetooth technology and all these things that make it, uh, make our lives easier, they was, we were able to take the same sort of technology that was developed 50 years ago that cost, who knows how much it cost back then, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and, you know, we're able to package it up for a couple hundred dollars and, and give it to, you know, basically anybody that wants to maximize their training, understand their health and wellness, and really get a, an inside-out picture of, of how their body is responding to everything. And as far as what it is, I mean, like I touched on a little bit, it's it's measuring how the brain is controlling the heart. And obviously, as we talked about, the body wants to survive. Well, the forefront of survival is the heart pumping blood and oxygen into every tissue in the body. Because if it doesn't happen, you know, you're you're not going to last more than a few thing. minutes. Yeah, that's real bad. It's a real bad thing, right? So yeah, the brain is very very controlled, right? It's very very important that your brain controls the heart rhythm in very particular ways. And as you're stressed and fatigued it's going to do that differently than when you're rested and ready to go. So basically what HRV is doing, like I said, is pulling apart the heart rate signal, analyzing how the brain is controlling the heart, and then giving you information about how your body is responding to the, the stress you're imposing upon it. And again, the, the big thing here is it's, it's not just the training stress, it's the life stress, it's the nutrition stress, it's all the other variables that people fail to take into account a lot of times that have such a big impact on their ability to train and recover that can, you know, dramatically slow down how fast they can recover so they're able to see you know doesn't it doesn't take three weeks or a month before you feel like crap you you're able to see those things happening long before you ever actually feel the negative effects of them and you're able to make the changes to your program and to your you know sleep and everything else to to prevent those sorts of downward spirals from from ever getting started in the first place yeah absolutely and i'll tell you one of the things that i learned from using hrv was that while training hard definitely had an effect on me, a bad night's sleep had a bigger effect on my recovery. Of course, it's just N equals one. It was just a, the study of me, but that's the study that I'm most concerned about. Just like everyone listening, you should be mostly concerned about how you're responding to your life, to your training load, to your exercise program, and to your sleep habits. So no, it was, it was really cool. Can you talk a little bit about how it works and then we'll get into what the numbers mean and cause I have a, a, a few questions about that. The nice thing about the system is it's super simple to use. It doesn't require you getting up and doing a max effort treadmill test or, you know, do anything complicated. You literally just wake up in the morning you take a two and a half minute measurement, which basically just means you put on a heart rate monitor connects to your, your phone or iPad or whatever. And then in two and a half minutes, it measures that pattern we're talking about. You know, it gives you a color, which is an indication of fatigue, you know, a, a green, which is low fatigue, and amber, which is moderate fatigue, and a red, which is high fatigue. Uh, and then it gives you a, a number as well, which basically represents you know, part of how the brain is, is governing the body, the brain, uh, the heart rate, I should say. And then you know, you're able to see trends over time. You're able to see how things are changing. But again, the 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 great part about it is it's literally you know it's a non-invasive two and a half minute test. It doesn't take you an hour. It doesn't take a bunch of uh, setup. It's a super simple process. And we recommend you know people do it every day or as close to every day as possible in the morning when they wake up. So we have a nice standardized 
a daily snapshot to compare from one day to the next. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's really all there is to it. It's, it's not more complicated than that. Yeah, got it. And I love that I get my resting heart rate as well, because uh, I've, I've read a lot about that. Can you talk about the difference between using a resting heart rate versus the HRV? Because I know my heart rate, if it gets down in the 50s, the early 50s, that means I'm in pretty good shape. My aerobic system's probably working pretty well. I've been doing my aerobic exercise, in other words, and I'm not pushing it too hard. But you can also use resting heart rate to show stress because if my heart rate starts shooting up, my resting heart rate in the morning, if I take it after a hard workout and all of a sudden it's in the you know 63 instead of 52, then, and if it does that consistently, I can show that, uh, or that's an indicator that I might be under some stress as well. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between your resting heart rate, the HRV, and why HRV is, uh, wh- why we should care more about HRV than the resting heart rate? Yeah, I mean, so resting heart rate, again, is, it's just the end result of how the brain controls it. So when, when the system is called the parasympathetic function, more active and that's the system your body uses to promote rest and recovery uh, the heart rate is reduced a bit and when that system is less dominant then the heart rate is sped up a bit so what you're seeing in the end result of your actual heart rate it's like i said it's the end result of how the autonomic system is functioning what we're looking at is the layer deeper with hrv we're looking at the, that actual you know the actual function of that system the, the parasympathetic system so i guess probably the the best thing to realize is that by the time you see significant and lasting changes in resting heart rate, you've already passed the point of, of fatigue and you've, you've missed kind of your window of optimizing things ahead of time. So it's a, I guess the easiest way to put it is it's a very lagging indicator because resting heart rate itself fluctuates, you know, two to four beats per minute. By the time you've gone way outside that range, you've already crossed the threshold of, of a lot of fatigue and, and missed the chance, like I said, to make the changes. So HRV is a leading indicator. You're going to see you're going to see things happening a lot sooner by looking at HRV. You're going to have a lot more clear picture of what's going on. And, uh, you know, really resting heart rate is the poor man's HRV. It's, it's, you know, it's what <laughs> you, it's what people relied on before we actually had the technology to use HRV. Um, but it's, you're, you're really taking a kind of a shotgun approach with, with, uh, just look at resting heart rate, but with HRV, you're using a microscope to really get a, an inside look at what's happening before you see the negative effects of it. Whereas heart rate, you're just kind of seeing general trends and it's, it's not nearly as uh, precise and it's not nearly as, as really as useful as, as looking at the, the behind the scenes function, which is, which is HRV itself. Yeah. Love it, man. And let's get into what the numbers mean, because you talked about the readout shows a number. It also shows either red, amber, or green reflecting your state of physiological readiness, green meaning go really simple. Yellow meaning you're a bit fatigued. You should be more wary about how you approach your training and your just whatever other stresses you have in your life. Red means you need to take it really easy, which happened to me recently. And I took the day off of any type of hard workout, did some active recovery and it shot back up to green. And then I resumed my workouts. So Joel, what, what's the range of the numbers is more better. Let's explain the numbers a bit. Yeah. So the number is, is an actual measure of the influence of that parasympathetic system I talked about. You know, it's going to vary also depending on aerobic fitness levels, because in general, the more aerobically 
fit you are, the faster you're able to recover in general and adapt to stress. So you see different sports, different goals have different ranges that are kind of ideal for that range. But the interesting thing or the, the most important thing to realize is that as a single number, heart rate variability, the number we give you correlates to life expectancy, correlates to risk of sudden death, correlates to risk of cardiovascular disease, all these things better than really any other single variable will ever do. So better than just looking at your blood pressure, better than just looking at uh, cholesterol or triglycerides, whatever, this single number will tell you more about your body's overall health and well-being than anything else out there. So it's an incredibly important number. You know, for your average person who just wants to be in shape and live a happy, healthy life, you know, it's somewhere in the 70s, mid-70s to upper 70s is a good range and target to shoot for. You start dropping below that significantly. You know, it's an indication that your body is not in the kind of physiological shape it needs to, to to function well. For different sports, different athletes have different ranges. Most team sport athletes tend to be kind of the mid-80s to mid-90s sort of range. You know, the endurance athletes who obviously the most aerobically fit tend to be in the upper 90s or even low 100s range. So, you know, again, every sport kind of has its ideal range and more is not always better. It's the right range is the right range depending on what your goals are. So it just it gives you a really uh, valuable piece of, of information to say, you know, is my body in the right state? Do I have the right levels of aerobic fitness and adaptability that I need to to stay healthy and, and live a long life? Or, you know, am I trending the wrong direction? Is my HIV super low and I'm doing, you know, probably more damage and good and my program's not really preparing me for, you know, the 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 daily life that I'm that I'm imposing upon it. So it's a it's a super valuable number. I mean, again, the you can you can look at things like triglycerides or C-reactive protein, or you can look at all these different variables that are, uh, you know, you have to go to the doctor and get blood tests, and you do them every six months or year or whatever, and see where you're at. I mean, that's a that's it's good, but you're you're missing the daily kind of changes that are taking place, and the the value again, HRV is something you can take in two and a half minutes a day, not drawing blood. You know, you're you're seeing these changes over the short and long term, and that's it's giving you information that's honestly as valuable or more valuable than any sort of general health measure you can go get from your doctor. Yeah, so true. And I'll tell you, I have an article from, I believe it's the American Heart Association, and it talks about how HRV represents one of the most promising ways to evaluate this increased sympathetic response that a lot of people have going on. And like you said, it's just so powerful. I'll make sure that this article that I have right here is put on the show notes. But in case you want to read more on HRV and how even the American Heart Association is talking about this. But I'll tell you something, Joel, I've never heard of any doctor talking about HRV. Maybe someone who's more popular and more up on alternative health, but it's all about the ECGs and all the other types of equipment and, and nobody's using this really important, hardly anybody. And you're one of the people yeah. who are popularizing it. So I, I really appreciate what you're doing. Also, I've noticed, uh, actually, my buddy Joe DiBernardo use it, like I said, with his Olympic hopeful from Paraguay. And what he said was sometimes that the number may be up, but it'll show red. So sometimes if the number goes up too high, it'll also show red. So it's not necessarily, you're always trying to get it higher. Can you talk a little bit about the nuances there of how your body responds to stress and how you can actually raise the number, but 
if it's too much of a deviation from normal, it'll also show a red. Yeah, I mean, again, like what, we, what I said we're looking at is, is that parasympathetic system, and that reacts in response and in conjunction with the sympathetic system. So when you're under stress, whether it's training or mental stress or whatever else, the sympathetic system increases because it's a indication that you need more energy, and that's what the sympathetic system is designed to do is to drive up energy production. And then on the other side of it, the parasympathetic system is designed to rebuild and restore and regenerate and all this sort of stuff. So the broad terms that most people are familiar with, uh, the sympathetic system is catabolic. It breaks down energy. And the uh, parasympathetic system is anabolic, and it restores and regenerates and replenishes energy. So basically what we're looking at is, is when you're under the stress, then, yeah, we see your HRV number go down. At some point, your body is going to have to recover, and it's going to have to activate the parasympathetic system to do it and, and turn that system on higher, and it's going to cause the HRV to go up. But you know, like you said, when, when we see it spiking up dramatically, we've seen it go way above your baseline numbers, it's an indication that your body is trying very, very hard to recover because it's had to turn up that parasympathetic system so high in an effort to you know, get everything back to normal. So just because the number is up, that's not good. Just because the number is you know, always down, it's not always bad. It's just kind of the normal ebb and flow of how the body trains and recovers from it. But the, the bottom line is you know, we want to see those, those numbers change within relative normal levels. Your baseline huge spikes up or huge spikes down are where we see the body is under that level of fatigue that tells us, you know, hey, we need to make some changes to our program today. We're, we're not going to benefit from going, you know, and going in there and going 100% because our body is still in a state of repair and regeneration, pushing it even further before it's finished a job isn't going to ultimately help us. It's going to hinder us. Yeah. And Joel, you, you mentioned that aerobic exercise and athletes who are involved in types of aerobic exercise typically have high HRV, which is correlated with this heart health and the health of your autonomic nervous system. And I've done a whole thing on aerobic exercise, some of which I learned from you, and, I, and you really changed my mind about that while the whole fitness industry was clamoring about, oh, you have to do high intensity. You must do, the, the research says high intensity, which we already kind of covered. You know, you helped me go out there, get strap my heart rate monitor on and just do some long, slow distance training, trying to build up my aerobic system while people are trying to race me on the track. So it's kind of hard because I'm a little competitive <laughs> when it comes to that, but it just really has changed me. But my question to you is what other things have you found? Do you have any hacks to improve or methods to improve the HRV other than aerobic exercise? Well, part of it is just understanding that the, the HRV number itself represents the balance between pro and anti-inflammation-driven systems in the body. So when your body, again, is sympathetic, it's driving inflammation up. When it's parasympathetic, it's driving inflammation down. So a lot of it comes to you know how you manage nutrition, how you manage stress from life, and how you sleep to mitigate against inflammation and chronic inflammation because that's where the real problem comes in. So you know again, like I said, aerobic exercise is the biggest thing because it's uh, part of how their body – uh, drives a lot of stuff it has to do with mitochondria, which are a byproduct of, of you know increased aerobic function dictates you know better functioning and, and more mitochondria. So when you improve aerobic fitness, HRV inherently is going to go up. But the other side of it, you know, is just doing things in your daily life from a nutrition, from a stress, from a sleep standpoint to minimize that inflammation. So again, foods that you know re you react well to the right levels of calories, you know, avoiding mental stress and adding in relaxation. I mean, I, I've seen literally people increase the HRV by three to five, you know, sometimes even more points a day 
simply by spending 20 minutes a day in some sort of meditation or just in a quiet room listening to music and relaxing. So there's a lot of stuff people can do in their daily lives, you know, whether it's making dietary changes, you know, adding in some sort of stress relieving thing they find, you know, relaxing every day and, and things like that can make a, a real big difference in getting their HRV back up and, and, you know, improving how they're functioning. Gotcha. Okay. So what I hear you saying is we got to have you back on the show to get into more specifics about recovery techniques. Yeah, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> In general, I'll say this. The biggest thing is, you know, if you find it relaxing and mentally it feels like it's relaxing, then it's probably beneficial to you to start doing. So like I said, everyone's got their own little happy place, whether it's, you know, taking a shower or getting a hot tub or massage or, you know, whatever it is that they do, they find relaxing. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of value in, in doing those activities and probably doing it more frequently than they are now. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. And just uh, being tapped into that and being more self-aware and mindful can uh, help you go a long way without necessarily, yeah, doing some aerobic exercise. Great advice. One more question, and then we'll wrap things up. And Joel, I kind of want to say it was you, but I could have heard it from somewhere else. It was a few years back. It was an interview. And the people were discussing how they did some research on these athletes and they were testing their autonomic nervous system, seeing if they were more sympathetic dominant or parasympathetic dominant or what was more active, what branch of the autonomic nervous system was more active. What they found was that the athletes with the more parasympathetic response had a higher metabolic rate, I guess a basal or met resting metabolic rate. I, I can't remember which one. I guess it doesn't really matter, but do you know anything about that? Because I had a recent discussion with someone and they were like, they were saying, oh, the, the benefits of aerobic activity is not that you're burning more calories because someone was talking about how they felt aerobic exercise really helped them get the fat off. And what he was saying was, oh, well, it's not about the calories you burn during that exercise, but it's about this autonomic balance or this push towards parasympathetic, which really causes the metabolic rate to go up. And we were trying to find some papers on it, and, and I did some Google research, and I couldn't find any. Do you have anything to add about that? Uh, no, I mean, yes, there's not a whole lot to that, to be honest with you. The biggest driver by far of your resting metabolic rate is muscle mass. I mean, that's literally 90% of of what drives metabolic rate is how much muscle tissue you have because muscle tissue is what consumes 80% of your, your calories. Basically it's, it's what takes the most effort to, to function, the most energy to function. So the more muscle mass you have, higher metabolic rate is going to be. Now, again, it's, it's also driven by hormonal type intervention as well, but keep in mind the sympathetic system is what's catabolic and driving up calorie burning. It's the parasympathetic system that's doing the opposite. Probably what you would see is people with higher parasympathetic function, when you're measuring them at rest is they have that parasympathetic function increase because they're doing more work. So if mm -hmm. they're out training and they're, and they're burning calories, the parasympathetic system has to respond to that and you're going to see higher levels of parasympathetic function, right? So you're probably just seeing a byproduct of people's, you know, caloric, just how many calories are burning, whether it's resting or resting and active, those are going to be higher in people that are doing more work. And those people that are doing more work specifically aerobically and burning calories are going to tend to you know have higher functioning parasympathetic systems. So you can't really say it's a it's a cause and effect. It's more of just a, a correlation and a and a byproduct of somebody training and burning calories and then the, the parasympathetic system kicks on to kind of uh, you know repair and rebuild and do all the stuff it does. But from a 
you know, just from a pure resting metabolic rate standpoint, it's, it's like, I said, it's, it's largely simply a byproduct of muscle mass. And then they've done some research and, and kind of correlated literally how much of a tie there is there. And it's, it's, you know, 80, 90 plus percent of calories when you, when you normalize things and you measure purely by a muscle mass standpoint, that's literally 90% of what your resting metabolic rate comes from. There's much less genetic variability in the metabolic rate than people thought where their genetic variability comes in is how your body processes the calories you take in. So there is, there are big differences in how your body, uh, you know, nutriently recomps and, and takes the food that you eat and shuttles it into different tissues in the body. And that has to do with, you know, insulin sensitivity, inflammation, and all these other driven processes. But by and large, your resting metabolic rate is just how much muscle mass do you have? Because that's what dictates largely how much energy your body has to produce. Yeah. So well said. Good to know that. It was just a bit of bro science that was out there and it was from a couple of years ago. And then someone was saying that, like I just mentioned, but I wasn't thoroughly convinced and I wanted to make sure I asked you, well, Joel, man, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your, your time, your wisdom, your knowledge and sharing your work that you've been promoting with HRV and getting people to understand that training and our biology, our physiology in general, it's, it's, there's much more going on there than just, uh, you know, going and crushing yourself in the gym a few times a week. So thanks for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Where would you like people to go and learn more about you? I mean, probably the easiest place is just my, my primary website, eightweeksout.com, just number eight weeksout.com. It's where I have lots of articles and uh, different information on various you know, things that I do and talk about. And if they want to find more specifically about HRV, just bioforcehrv.com is where you can find all that. But you can also get to that through eight, eight weeks out. So either, either one of those sites, depending on what they're looking for more information on. And I, I do have, you know, if people want to get more in depth uh, on, on BioForce HRV um, and eight weeks out, there's a free video course people can take. It's like a little five-day course with five videos that kind of go into more depth of what we've talked about in terms of how HRV is related to fat loss, how it's related to performance, how it's related to these different areas. So if people want to go through a little little self-guided video course, you know, they can find that on either side as well. Excellent. I'll have that in the show notes. And Joel, usually I'll ask my guests on the show for some final words of encouragement or inspiration. But what I want to ask you, because you're so well-versed in the technology, is what is exciting you about the future of HRV or other biofeedback technology, what do you see in the near future with this type of technology? What do you see as a result of that technology? That's a good question. I mean, I'm actually in the middle of working with another company. I think we're going to have something super exciting in the next, uh, I don't know, six or 12 months or, or maybe even less. I think it's going to be a real game-changing thing in this industry because right now I think we're, we're seeing a lot of different devices out there that capture data. And HRV is to me the most useful out of them because it's looking at the inside metrics rather than just the external metrics of how many steps you took or whatever. But I think, again, we're, we're kind of at the early stages of data because what data does right now is just kind of tell most people, you know, what they've done. They, it doesn't really tell them yet what it is they should be doing and how to make changes to make their numbers improve. And that's, you know, without giving too much uh, information, what we're working on yet, the, the biggest thing that has to happen is that people aren't going to keep using these devices indefinitely if it doesn't provide real feedback and real guidance and real tangible information. And that's what people want. They want to know, you know, what do I do to improve my numbers? What do I do to, to improve my strength? What do I do to feel better? And the data alone, just looking at numbers in a spreadsheet or in an app, don't necessarily give you that information. They still kind of leave it up to you to figure out what it all means. And then the next step of all this stuff 
is using machine learning and using big data and using computer systems to literally tell you what it all means and what to do about it to make it better. And I think that's ultimately the next step because, you know, if you're going to wear around a band 24 hours a day or you're going to spend, you know, any amount of time every day, it better be useful information. And there's a lot of devices out there to me that aren't really providing much more than, you know, a glorified small look at what you did for that particular day, which again, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't help a lot of people get better. And so again, the next phase, and I don't think we're that far off. And, uh, you know, I'm really optimistic about the stuff that I'm working on now that we're going to have that next phase where people's training programs, their sleep schedules, their, you know, nutrition, all this stuff can be optimized and told and you can, you can get very specific information about what to do and how to do it to, to achieve better health and better performance. Oh man. I'm glad I asked you that last question. Wow. Joel on the cutting edge, just like when I first heard of you and started getting into your information, that's going to be exciting to see. I know what you're talking about is the future and I know you're on that curve and you're, you're making things happen. So Joel, again, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for pushing us forward into a new paradigm of strength, fitness, and overall wellness. Look yeah. forward to getting you back on the show, man. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be on and uh, hope your audience got some value out of it and uh, can, can learn more and, and go from there. So again, I'm happy to come back on anytime and I'm sure I'll talk to you again soon. Wow. How cool was that interview? That's why I'm so happy that I had Joel on the show and I can't wait to get him back on because unlike many of the other fitness professionals out there, Joel is on the cutting edge. He's talking about using sensor technology and big data and how we can use this technology to optimize our health and ultimately our lives. And that's why I'm so excited. That's what I'm trying to do with this show is have these leaders, these innovators here to show you better ways of living your life, better ways of working out, better ways of achieving the results that you want. So I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I enjoyed being a part of it. And we'll talk to you on the next episode. <laughs>